This audio file is a production of Chiasmos, the University of Chicago's international and area studies multimedia outreach source. For related audio and video, or for more information about the project, please visit chiasmos.uchicago.edu or internationalstudies.uchicago.edu. First off, I, before uh, we start with David Shulman's introduction of Professor Venkatachalapati, I just wanted to, um, just so that everyone knows um, who our, our uh, panel presenters are, I just wanted to go through kind of the list of names on the back of the program, and when I come to you, could you just sort of raise your hand, and then people will be familiarized with, with who you are. Um, list of participants. Um, we have Bernard Bate from Yale University. Raise your hand. That's Barney, um, graduate of Chicago and in anthropology. Uh, Sasha Ebeling, whom you're all familiar with from the South Department, uh, specialist in Tamil literature. Lakshmi Holmstrom, a renowned translator of Tamil uh, short stories and poetry, and of course, Sama's novel. Um, uh, now, the filmmakers, K.P. Jayashankar and Anjali Montero, I think have stepped out, but will be returning soon, so we will say hello to them when they come back. Uh, James Lindholm is over there, our uh, Tamil instructor, and also a graduate of the University of Chicago, friend of Norman's. Uh, Sally Noble, the um, uh, director of the South Asia Center, associate director, <laughs> functional, I mean, not, well, anyway, she was a very important person, VIP. <laughs> and um, Paula Richman, Oberlin, in front here um, uh, from the religion department, um, also a Div School Chicago graduate, no. Oh, really? Oh, I'm sorry. We were incorrect. I apologize. Um, and Salma, of course, who has spoken to us this morning. Um, we all know who she is. Um, very good, very good session this morning. David Shulman <coughs> over here um, visiting the South Department um, and um, specialist in poetry and poetics in Tamil, Telugu, and Sanskrit. Um, Sam Sudananda is right here um, from Columbia, from the MILAC department, uh, where he teaches Tamil. And um, we're very grateful to have him here and also for his, uh, his uh, uh, help with interpretation uh, with Salma. And then finally, we come to our keynote speaker. And so I'm going to save this introduction for David Shulman, who is appointed for this very task. So now David So it's um, my pleasant task, actually it's a privilege and an honor to introduce Professor A.K. Venkatachalapati from the Madras Institute of Development Studies. Um, actually, uh, Chalapati, I'm going to call him Chalapati, 
He's one of these people who one says about them at moments like this that they need no introduction, and then one usually goes on to give a long introduction. Uh, I'm going to take advantage of the opportunity that's been given me to actually say a few things, in fact, but it's true that he needs no introduction because I think probably everybody in this room knows his work well, and certainly anybody uh, in our generation who's interested in the history, cultural history of South India, especially the Tamil region uh, has read his essays and knows them well, because Chalapati is uh, certainly the most adventurous, intellectually stimulating mind among the historians working on the modern period in South India uh, in the last uh, several decades. Um, actually, as it happens, uh, although for many years I've been wanting to meet him, and we have many mutual friends and people have uh, often uh, wanted us to meet. It didn't, I didn't happen to have the privilege of meeting him until about a year ago, almost exactly a year ago in uh, Arayar, um, where we had a very kind of a joyful meeting. And of course, I immediately felt that I was in the presence of a kindred spirit. But I just have to tell you that, um, in fact, we share, I think, a much deeper affinity based upon profound metaphysical principles, because um, those of you who know his work will know that he has a famous essay, which is actually the title essay in his volume of uh, English, um, uh, English historical essays called, called In Those Days There Was No Coffee. And I think there are quite a few people in this room who know by now uh, that at least in my own uh, idiosyncratic cosmology, coffee is a matter of the most profound existential and metaphysical significance, really an embodiment of ultimate human values, and perhaps, perhaps the, only, the only true uh, metaphysical principle to which I hold uh, without compromise. And so a person who was prepared actually to write an essay on the history of coffee consumption in uh, South India is obviously a man very close to my heart. Um, it's hard for us even to imagine a world in which people in Madras or anywhere else in South India did not drink coffee. But actually, there was such a time, of course. And you, of course, can see something of the spirit um, of intellectual adventure, which goes with the attempt to trace the history of this uh, particular Madrasi cultural uh, cultural habit. It's a bit like what Ashish Nandi once said about cricket. He said that cricket was an uh, Indian game that was by mistake uh, invented in Scotland. And I suppose one could say the same thing about coffee. It's a kind of a Middle Eastern drink that um, actually really belongs in Tamil Nadu and, and um, has been only by some odd historical chance uh, wandered away to the Middle East. Um, I want to say a few things about the two, uh, the two major sides of, of Chalapati. Let me begin with the academic intellectual profile. Um, he's actually published rather a lot of books. I think uh, looking at the list of publications, around 20 books, including some edited volumes, um, including a very beautiful book in Tamil, the Muchandi Lakyam, about Tamil chapbooks, Tamil, a particular kind of Tamil um, popular literature. Um, by the way, I, I also wanted to say that uh, although Chalapati has published very extensively in English, uh, I highly recommend uh, to the people in this room to read him in Tamil because his Tamil is really a kind of exquisite academic um, prose, uh, a kind of model, I think, for what, um, what we can hope for. Uh, and uh, it has a particular, particular richness which, um, you know, given a choice, I, I certainly would recommend that you read his Tamil essays, including the Tamil versions of the essays that have also been published um, in English. 
Uh, he was trained at uh, JNU, and uh, he wrote a dissertation on the history of Tamil publishing, really. And in fact, he's the world's expert on Tamil publishing in the last 200 years. I actually believe there's probably no single Tamil book that was published in the last 200 years that Chalapati hasn't actually met and welcomed personally. Um, <laughs> he's, he certainly has an, an astonishing knowledge, um, which has come uh, into play in, in many of the essays that he has published. Uh, he also has a very lovely book. It's called Chennai, Not Madras, uh, which I recommend to you. Perspectives on Chennai was published by Marg Publications about uh, two years ago. And um, I just might mention that he's engaged in writing a biography of Periyar. And perhaps when that is done, a long-term project on Chidambaram Pillai. So uh, these are works that we can certainly look forward to. Um, and I could actually say rather a lot more about his academic profile, but I think maybe that's enough for now. I just want to say that there is the other side, uh, which is that um, Chalapati embodies in a very remarkable way, I think, the, um, the kind of essence of the life of a Tamil man of letters. I suppose today one should say a Tamil person of letters um, in, in, in Madras or in the Tamil cultural sphere. He lives the literary life with a very, uh, very great intensity. Um, he also uh, is the author of a fantastic translation of um, Sura Sundra Ramaswamy's J.J. Silup Kuripuhal. And those of you who know the book uh, in Tamil will also know how enormously difficult almost impossible, actually, it is to produce a good, clean, uh, lyrical English translation of this very remarkable novel. So he succeeded, I think, really very remarkably in this respect. And um, I can't um, conclude this introduction without mentioning the sacred name of Pudumai Pitan, who is, in a way, I think, the um, kind of presence, um, hidden presence in this room, because he's been mentioned actually several times today. Salma mentioned him in the course of talking about writers that, uh, that she has read and cared for. And here again, I think one could say about Chalapati that he's the world's expert on the writings of Pudumai Pitan. He's um, in the process of compiling uh, what would normally be called a kind of critical edition of the of the works of Pudumai Pitan, a Variorum uh, edition, of which four volumes have come out, is that right? And we have uh, two more to look forward to, including a volume of critical essays by Jelapati about Pudumai Pitan, who is arguably, uh, well, without any doubt, actually, he's one of the most important of the modern Tamil prose writers, in some ways, perhaps the most original uh, writer of that, of that generation. So um, I think without further ado, I'll ask him to come and give his keynote address, please. Uh, thank you very much. I'm deeply honored. I know David Shulman is a, is a great scholar. He's also a generous man. Thanks, David. Uh, I'm overwhelmed at being here for uh, two reasons. I met uh, Norman Cutler 20 years ago when I was about 20. He came to the Maramalaitical Library when I was working there. He came with Lee Weissman, and we met him. And you know, even at that moment, you know, he was a quiet man, but you could see that you know he was, he was not a shallow man, deep waters, I could say. And then, of course, subsequently, 10 years later, I was here teaching for a while, and Norman made made it very, very pleasant for me here to stay. And as uh, Barney mentioned it this morning, you know, reading his 
wonderfully written essay in Shelley's volume, you know, reminds us what a great scholar he is. Um, the second reason is that on the 31st of August, 2001, 2000, that was the day Salma's first collection of poems was published. That was the first time I saw her. I got the book hot from the press. And I saw her with Sundar Ram Simon. I gave the copy to her. She was, um, uh, what you heard in the morning was only a very small, very small part of her uh, life. I saw a very tentative young woman, unsure of herself. Of course, I had read all her work. And we had discussed her work with so many friends. But seeing her in person, very you know, you read all that she had written into her personality. And now, you know, six years later, I see, you know, she's so confident and she's here and she's the featured author. So for that reason also, I'm very, and you know, she's being translated by one of the most, probably the most important translator working in Tamil now, Lakshmi Holmstrom. And of course, as you will, would have heard this morning and also tomorrow, you know that only a person like Lakshmi Holmstrom can do justice to the writing of Salma. What I propose to do over the next 30 or 35 minutes is to trace, give an overview of Tamil uh, literature since 1947. I could, in a sense, call it leading up to Salma. Um, basically, it is trying to situate the phenomenal um, growth in uh, the Tamil literary output quantitatively and qualitatively in the last 10 years. I just want to trace that moment from about 1947. At the time of uh, Indian independence, even though Congress would be the most popular party and Indian nationalism, I don't know, was was still the most important political and social force in Tamil Nadu. The Dravidian movement had already emerged. And within the first decade, I think the, the Dravidian movement, the Tamil identity politics, largely defined political discourse and uh, social discourse in Tamil Nadu. You could say that 1967, that was the year when uh, uh, DMK came to power, the Congress lost. But even by the 50s, the Congress was Congress and Indian nationalist forces were reduced to playing a very reactive role in, in Tamil politics and in Tamil culture. The agenda, the terms of the debate were being set by the Dravidian movement. It was also at that time you find the emergence of a commercial media of mass circulated weekly magazines, most of them. A combination of these two, the, uh, the agenda being set by the Dravidian movement and Tamil nationalist politics, and the, the growth of the commercial media, the mass circulated magazines. It was in this context, you know, in literary production, there was a clear split. For almost 30, 40 years, literary production in Tamil Nadu, you know, went on two parallel tracks. One was one kind of writing uh, uh, was produced and distributed and diffused in society through these mass circulated magazines. But on the other, there was a self-conscious 
modernist writing which thrived separately. Uh, by about the 50, by about the 60s, this cleavage was so clear and there was no kind of you know, give and take. It was either the mass circulated magazines and the popular writers completely being completely oblivious of uh, the modernist writing, new writing coming from the other side. And while on the other side, the self-consciously modern writers, they're completely distanced from the mass circulated magazines. This is best epitomized in the emergence of this phenomenon of the, phenomenon of the little magazines. Um, little magazines, you know, though I think it is fairly self-explanatory, it has some a number of other aspects which need to be factored in. These magazines, first, you know, they they were very conscious reaction to the mass circulated magazines. Here we have to remember that you know in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, the best of writings which we celebrate to this day, they were written in these popular magazines, you know, which had not actually become really big, but still there was no cleavage between you know little magazines and mass circulated magazines. In the 30s and 40s and even till the 50s, the best writings of whether it was, uh, you know, Pudmai Pitan or, uh, or Kupa Rajagopalan or M. V. Venkatraman or Nagpichamurthy, they were being published. Of course, Pudmai Pitan is an exception. He never wrote in Anandavidani except for one story. All these writers were writing in Kalaimagal. They were writing in journals like, uh, Kalaimagal was very important, which was uh, incidentally, you know, one of the, uh, the honorary editors was Uwe Swaminathan. Anandavidan was also a forum for these kind of writings. But you find by the very fag end of the 1950s, the little magazine tradition begins. And once again, you know, the symbol of this kind of movement was the editor. It was a monthly magazine. Uh, it was only, two, only 200 copies were uh, printed of these magazines. And they were up to their gill with you know, the latest in uh, in American and English writing, and also, to a certain extent, European writing through translations. And when this uh, movement began of, of these little magazines, they consciously positioned themselves against, as I said, the popular magazine. You know, they, uh, they would, they would completely eschew politics. Uh, they eschewed commercialism. The word popular was completely anathema. Anything, in fact, you know, it was taken to such an extent that, you know, if any good work was read by a large audience, immediately, you know, that would be looked at with a great amount of suspicion. And this little magazines also, you know, constructed a tradition for themselves. They thought of, um, you know, the, some of the earlier failed journals as the beginning of the little magazine tradition. While, for instance, Manikudi, the classic journal, which was started in 1933, uh, the, my own experience, you know, I read about it when I was growing up. It was this, you know, the great fountainhead of uh, uh, Tamil literary modernism. But when you actually went back to the journal, I found that, you know, it was trying to be a popular journal. It was a serious journal, it was a popular journal. They were trying to do it, but they failed. And all the stalwarts of this, this modernist group, or whatever, I, whatever we could call it for the moment, the, the titans of the little magazines, if, you, if I may mix metaphors, they were actually publishing in the 40s and 50s popular mags. They were trying to do it, but they failed. Once again, the classic example, Kana Subramaniam, who was, was widely celebrated as championing this little magazine tradition. The journals that he published in 1939, Suravali and the later journal, he was certainly engaging with the popular. He was not uh, uh, you know, restricting himself to 
literature defined in a very narrow sense. Uh, MVV ran a journal called Teni. Kupara himself, Kupara Adhagopalan himself ran a journal which was certainly addressed to a larger audience. But by the turn of the 50s and the beginning of the 60s, this was in Tamil literary culture the heyday of little magazines. Number of journals were published, Nailakyavattam, Saraswati, and leading up to in the 1970s to Kasara Tapran Pragya. As I said, they were elitist, elitist, they restricted their circulation, strongly condemnatory of popular politics, and given the caste and class composition of these writers, to which I'll come very shortly, uh, they had a certain visceral anathema to the Dravidian movement. So anything associated with the Dravidian movement was looked down upon. And the politics was, the unstated politics was always, you know, condemnatory of the Dravidian movement. This, uh, in a cocooning of literary production in the 60s also gave the space for, you know, experimental writing. And that was the time when the free verse, Pudukka with a new poetry, you know, completely liberated from prosodic uh, shackles as they were called. The Pudukka becomes, the new poetry becomes an accepted genre. The magazine Yeduthu published, uh, consistently published uh, new poetry, encouraged debate on this, and it was running parallel to the kind of poetry that was being produced from the Dravidian movement. So I was very interested to find that in 1964, when uh, Bharati Dasan, the fiery poet of the Dravidian movement, died, I was very curious to re see the response of the of this this uh, this group of uh, literary writers, especially in Yedith, You know, they had to acknowledge that he was a major figure, but you know, it is a very critical and you know uh, kind of you know undermining of his reputation that you see in their Obit pieces. It was in this you know this two parallel stream of uh, uh, literary production, very few were able to you know break this uh, barrier or you know cross bridge these two streams. The only exception I can think of is Jayakantha. That is also the reason I think, you know, uh, as Salma mentioned in the morning, you know, many of us, people of my generation, my earlier generation, next generation, we would read Jayakantha at the, you know, early stages of her, uh, of her uh, reading and literary career, and then at a certain point get fed up and then move on. But Jayakantha was very important because he could articulate, uh, you know, a new voice, a very strong, powerful individualism, and a certain approach to literature, which was completely lacking in mainstream publications. So Jayagandhan was an exception. In that sense, you know, he also, you know, uh, 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 he also had something to do with G. Nagaraj. You know, G. Nagarajan's writings and Jayagandhan's writing share a lot of commonalities. But the kind of romanticism that Jayagandhan brought into Say, for instance, the portrayal of this, this good prostitute, which you can, of course, you know, trace back to you know, Devdas and other kind of writings. You know. Jayagandhan romanticized certain notions of this, which went very well with the uh, mass-circulated magazines. But this leads up only to the 70s. By the beginning of the 80s, or even a little earlier, there was a felt crisis in the, in the literary world. I remember this very well because 1981-82 so was, um, was the birth centenary of Subramanya Bharati. 
that was the time when i started going you know to meetings and readings that moment is still and you know, i can remember it and uh, uh, the dissatisfaction with the existing literary world the forms of uh, literary production and literary politics this is extremely well expressed in this brilliant novel of sundar ram swami 1981 he publishes publishes jj salakuripagal it's a very interesting novel you know i'll just want to you know summarize it in two or three lines the form of that novel it is written as the the novel is structured as a as a fictional biography of a malayalam writer and this biography is actually being written by a tamil writer so this gives the scope for sundar ram sami to express his misgivings and dissatisfaction with the tamil literary world but not directly by by a by an apparent critique of literary production in in uh, in in kerala and one of the uh, one of the running themes of uh, this little magazine tradition was it's not only its anathema to towards the dravidian movement but also its deep distrust of of left politics especially you know the stalinist politics of the communist parties which was which was the lot of the communist parties in those days so that stream was was also there and you know you had these camps of progressives and you know reactionaries as these people were called looking back at it 20 30 years down the line we see that you know what a f- completely what a complete waste of time these people had you know indulged in you know it sheds no light or heat uh, great amount of uh, paper and ink was wasted in those times but the progressives because of the way their organizations organizations were structured and the kind of discourse that they adopted you know they always could corner serious introspective writers and it was always in a kind of burden that you know uh, any genuine sincere writer had to face you know if you introspected too much and you had too much self doubts you would be called a, you know a ca agent existentialist all kinds of uh, names were called uh, it was in this context that you know jj sala kurippugal uh, comes out as you know it's the language that is that it uses a certain manifesto quality that some of the passages have the 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 sharpness of the language the metaphorical use of language all these you know they completely uh, captured the image imagination of a whole generation of of readers not writers throughout my uh, uh, you know my reading and writing career i've seen very few writers who thought it was a good novel because every one of them saw themselves in the novel and they felt that you know they had come out very badly in it but for the readers it was a different experience in fact uh, sundar ram sami told me some 10 years ago that you know since the publication of of jj sulika sala kuripugal uh, not a month has passed without getting at least one letter or one visit from a young reader somewhere in some corner of tamil nadu he would get a letter or some young man would uh, come to see him like he saw one person on the on october 19th 1980 86 modesty prevents me from disclosing the identity of that person so, and that i was reminded of that once again you know when salma mentioned it this morning you know 
this novel and the personality of sundar ram sami uh, has a very important to part to play in what happened in the 1990s which is what i now come to once again in the 1980s the uh, one could already hear uh, the breakup of usr coming parastroika really caused a big crisis among the left intellectuals and uh, within the left movement there was also the the ultra left movement the cpiml the crisis that were engendered by the 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 great amount of violence that was unleashed them unleashed on them from the, from the 1960s to the 70s that is one moment which i do not know much about only i know it only from second hand but in the 90s uh, many of these left movements were getting disillusioned with armed action and they were you know increasingly working in in civil society they were engaging with mass politics trying to put up fronts and it was at that time some of these ultra left movements were beginning to engage with the question of caste because in tamil nadu even the dravidian movement had foregrounded the caste question but the left movement and all those inspired by the left movement pretended or tried to ignore uh, caste you find you know uh, the way how they ignore many of these things like you know everything is postponed until the revolution so once the revolution comes all these questions would be sorted out so in fact in uh, in the jj sala kurippugal jj asks you know uh, i have lot of uh, lies in my hair can i should i wait for the revolution to come or should i delouse myself immediately <laughs> now this kind of uh, so caste comes into a big way and i think in 1989 many of these ultra left organizations came together to discuss the question of caste and 1990 of course you know fundamentally changed many things in india in uh, august 1990 vp singh you know while at that moment was only a smart political move only later he became a statesman you know the uh, the government decision to implement the mandal commission recommendations you know completely changed everything what changed in tamil nadu was that you no know, tamil nadu did not get anything out of it in the sense that there was already a, a strong reservation policy in place but it was from that time people started looking to tamil nadu as a kind of a precursor until then tamil nadu is always the sore thumb that uh, sticks out some vague place which you know which seems to have nothing to uh, help explain or understand about the larger indian nation all those things and then immediately following mandal came the masjid uh, babri masjid uh, ram janmabhoomi crisis it fundamentally changed the way how people began to look at themselves about their identity about the nation about politics everything and tamil nadu even though you know for a it has a long history of not having any communal clashes despite that the issues that were raised by the mandal masjid debate you now brought about a great amount of churning and it is at this moment the dalit movement also emerges historically in tamil nadu as we know the uh, non brahmin movement has been very strong but the dalit question was subsumed within the non brahmin category of the non brahmin this begins to you know break up crumble because of the increasing power that the other backward castes were having and the impact it was having on on the dalits at the ground level so from about the 1990 
that was also the year of ambedkar's uh, centenary the publication of his writings you know the number of meetings that were held i did a lot of field work for my doctoral research at that time any city i went to any town i went to wherever i traveled i could see you know, ambedkar statues coming up it was at this moment you also had the 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 writing of self conscious dalit writing declared dalit writing before i actually get to it i just want to bring in another uh, factor into this survey of tamil uh, uh, literary production this by the by about the early 80s the crisis that i was talking about the little magazine tradition had fizzled out because there was too many issues to be contended with and you cannot one could not contend with all these things within the framework of progressive reactionary reactionary art for art's sake people art for people's sake or within debates about the new poetry so through the 80s there are very few literary little magazines that were published and the 1990s changes all that in the very beginning of 1990s three very important magazines begin to be published one was a journal called subhamangala uh, it was interestingly it was financed by a chit company because it liked somebody a, a fellow traveler of the of the left movement so they wanted to do something for him so they started a journal for him so the whole journal was subsidized and for the first time a literary magazine was published with multicolor wrappers and a photo offset printed pages so this editor of this journal komal swaminathan he is dead um, may his soul rest in peace uh, 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 it would be very difficult to say this in tamil nadu he was a phenomenally ill read man but that was his strength because he had not read anybody he did not have opinions okay so he just went by names so he created this forum when there was nothing for people to write one could not write in ananda vigadan or or kalki or other magazines and there were no little magazines so every like a railway platform all well known names from various groups it could be dravidian it could be cpi cpm cpiml independent fellow travelers independent writers reactionaries right reactionaries former ca agents present ca agents, everybody wrote that created and because the journal was published at a time when all this turbulence was going on in in, uh, in india at that time it gave the space for this publication and also because the editor was a very poor editor he wouldn't know what to cut out whatever was written was published so it just it was a free for all and that was the churning you know that helped people to write so for the first time people were reading other kinds of writings because i do remember that uh, at least two things i remember uh, i know that uh, cpim literary front gave a dictate that nobody should read uh, j sundaram swami i also know that for instance the uh, ml historian g kesavan once again the left party said that he should not you should not read him because he is quoting marx and engels too often it is very uncomfortable <laughs> so this kind of dictates were there and that context a journal like this which had within a single issue the entire spectrum of uh, of uh, of tamil literary writing in all its confused extravagance so subhamangala was published it was published from 90 to 95 then there was this other very important uh, journal called nirappirigai uh it was edited by a collective it would 
we published uh, irregularly three or four issues in a year it had you know long articles the very first issue carried a huge a very big summary of edward said's orientalism then there was something on julie christopher that be something on derrida and they they also translated it positioned itself as a dalit critical magazine and one of the very important things that this journal did was it started attacking the tamil literary canon you know it talked about caste openly for the first time this was one journal so this was also a very important uh, important institutional location for even though the journal was small you know it created that forum for questioning things you know questioning things in a very very radical way you know words which we would not uh, you know even dream of using 15 years ago because of nirapirige uh, the words began to be used and now it is kind of part of uh, of common parlance you know i don't think you know 15 years ago you know i could have even thought of a word for anal sex but in in this journal you know you had the coined words for it they were used so freely and it it you know it changed the language it changed the vocabulary it changed or it, it drew the line for public acceptability at a different level very enabling moments the other uh, very important factor which you know i, I think i have slipped it because i've just added it with an arrow in 1983 was of course the the july riots in sri lanka it's impossible not to get autobiographical for a some kind of survey like this 1983 july riots uh, my very first political rally was to join a rally you know condemning the atrocities of the sinhala sri lanka army so sri lanka after 1983 for about 30 40 years earlier the 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 the, uh, the post colonial situation had created you know such a huge undividable uh, a gap created a huge undividable gap between tamil nadu and sri lanka after 1983 it changed tamil nadu and uh, and uh, sri lanka in terms of the cultural and liter- literary map it became one you know suddenly you find that you know you have larger number of readers uh, you could you can publish larger number of books and after the first 5 to 10 years when there was a big diaspora and uh, the sri lankan tamils very you know energetic resourceful industrious wherever they went they created communities for themselves they supported literary activity in tamil nadu by the simple act of buying books and reading them and also many things you know which would have been very difficult i also need to say something about uh, about the use of digital technology in a little while many of the sri lankan tamils were the true pioneers in getting tamil into into the internet into you know using into you know in, into making tamil adapt to digital technologies very easily i and i think you know for the other indian languages even hindi it had to be done through the ages of the state in india in tamil nadu the uh, the wonderful adaptation of tamil language to digital technology was done outside the purview of the state it took place because of independent non state initiative uh, so uh, the the uh, the sri lankan ethnic issue also in a sense in expanded this tamil public sphere that i am talking about it is in this context you find now there is a great amount of you know unleashing of 
writing it you know there's a huge surfeit of writing people are writing you know poems stories essays and i think essays come as a, become a very important form that is non fictional writings become a very important uh, you know form of communication until then you know uh, a writer is only a poet or a or a novelist or a short story writer you know not somebody like me would have absolutely no place i would have had no place it is true until this moment the first 10 years of my writing career i don't know who read my books but now i know at least there are some people who are reading it in this context there was a huge publishing boom there was the critical writing that i have talked about that is one aspect but the huge amount of creative writing and i think this it is at this time that there is a phenomenal change in the social profile of tamil writers you know nirapiriga is one of the task that it undertook was something which the indian census operations never undertook it actually did a uh, on a day to day basis did a caste profile of many of the writers it was so uh, astonishing to see that you know most of the writers modern tamil writers until the 70s and even the 80s came from brahmin or the very top crust of the non brahmin caste yes of course the brahmin presence was always felt but it became so obvious you know when one looked into the profile of each individual author that the entire canon of modern tamil writing had been created by upper caste male persons but this i said from about the 19 set uh, 19 beginning of the 1990s is completely changes and also perhaps i should put in a couple of other uh, um, uh, you know factor in couple of other things before actually uh, talk of for a few minutes about this new crop of writers uh, 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 translations have always been very important in tamil nadu it's very surprising because you know tamil people have always had to carry the burden of being shamanist and it implies that you know they do not want to they are not open to ideas and writing from other places but it's actually not true at all in modern uh, modern tamil literary culture is bengali was always very big right from the 1900s uh, we translated bankim in fact somebody translated a bankim novel which bankim never wrote <laughs> and there was translations from marathi there are many people in tamil nadu who think that apart from of course devdas is a tamil hero like uh, almost all regions in india i think that you know devdas is their own uh, thing but we a kandehar the marathi writer was very important tamil uh, translations from hindi were also published premchand and others but the most if uh, these other indian writers influenced tamil writing in the 30s 40s and 50s from the 60s it was you know translations from the european languages whatever might be your criticism about uh, ussr the fact that you know they publish such beautiful books even though they translate you know i know you know why i think the russian masters masters are truly great they worked even despite the very poor atrocious translations that uh, uh, that uh, came from the progress publishers it's impossible not to miss it uh, once again you know i think i have to allude to salma's uh, comment this morning about reading uh, about russian literature but i just want to add a couple of names you know you would think only of when you talk about the russian masters you would think only of gogol shakov dostoevsky and uh, tolstoy but i think she has some other names in mind like chingis aitmatov 
ఐ డోంట్ ఐ డోంట్ నో ఇఫ్ పీపుల్ రీడ్ చింగ్ సైత్మతో ఇన్ ది యుఎస్ ఐఎమ్ షూర్ నో బడి సడ్ ఆఫ్ రసుల్ గమ్స్తో ఐ ప్రస్యూమ్ ఎక్స్క్యూజ్ మై హ్యూబ్రస్ రసుల్ గమ్స్తో అండ్ దిస్ ఆల్సో ఇంపార్టెంట్ బికాస్ ఐ థింక్ ఇట్ ఈస్ వెరీ లిబరేటివ్ ఫర్ సంబడి లైక్ సల్మా బికాస్ యూనో చింగ్ సైత్మతో రసుల్ గమ్స్తో యూనో they were from muslim communities they had a very difficult relationship with the with the with the, with the russians but you know their works were published you know people and they were fascinated by the world that chingis aitmato created i think zamila gulsari they were you know novels that captured the imagination of uh, many writers if this was you know if they captured the imagination of writers and readers with you know with the evocation of life in these regions other influences were there like uh, for instance albert camus outsider the tamil translation you know it was published by a publisher who refuses to sell uh, uh, sell the copies that he publishes you find such people in tamil nadu i think it must have been you know only 2000 copies must have been sold but that novel had such a big impact on writers you know a new way of looking at life you know uh, and also you know in uh, Uh, somebody mentioned that you know camu ho oh, is left but in tamil nadu you know he is not seen as the left he is seen as the the response to the left and it is always camu and sarthar and camu was seen as you know as somebody you know who was true and sincere to the craft and the art the translation once again also by the same publisher kriya sentekyu antwan sentekyu exuperi is the little prince these kind of works you know had a big impact and of course from the mid 80s this latin america latin american writing you know it just swept the tamil literary field everybody was talking about gabriel gabriel garcia marquez they were you know translating stories from uh, spanish neruda was always big uh, but i remember you know in 1989 or 90 you know a huge 400 page special number was published first about dostoevsky and then about gabriel garcia marquez so uh when i am talking about you know this new talent that came into tamil writing they also just did not come just like that you know i have a very interesting story to say i have a soft story to say i have i have gone through very difficult times i want to make you feel guilty i am writing this it was not so many of these people they actually came very well aware of the literary craft they were up to the latest in in modern writing so they came together brought these things together and that's why you find that you know the writing that came out of this time even though you know you find lot of uh, float sam and other things you know good amount of this work is of, of, of extraordinarily high quality so uh, and these journals especially i think uh, kalachuda has played a very important role you know it gave a free reign to writers it provided the forum for you know for uh, dalit writers women writers to publish without any inhibition